I'm Corey. And I'm Brian. And this is the Happy Harvest Horror Show. And it's Brian's birthday. Oh, no. What? Yeah. <laughs> it's Brian's birthday celebration day. That's the one. Mark your calendars for next year. You missed it this one. <laughs> Too late now. <laughs> <laughs> you missed it. December 2nd, Sagittarius, baby. Mm-hmm. Same as Britney Spears. Oh, you do have the same birthday as Britney Spears. Yeah, yeah. That's we're, great. Yeah, we're uh, kindred spirits, I think. <laughs> she and I. I love that. I love yeah. that for you. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> That's great. Britney is, like, I'll, I stand Britney. Like, Britney is just a cultural phenomenon, and she has maintained such an incredible cult following and like and she oh, has a, Brittany. a bonkers instagram if you want to yeah <laughs> any of her posts or stories uh she's off the rails but she's great we love her i mean yeah we won't get into the whole like britney spears conspiracy the conservatorship like over her life and mm-hmm. like it gets dark it gets dark so like even though it is spooky and that's it, it is spooky but love you britney send in all my all my good energy to you on your birthday and to you, Brian. Thanks, thanks. On your birthday. We both appreciate it. Thank you. How spooky was your week? Uh, it was pretty spooky. I, you're going to probably love this, but I went back and I've been watching a lot of American Horror Story. Oh. So I went back and finished 1984, uh, mostly just out of a head time to do it, the most recent season. And I found myself actually having a lot of fun with it. It was it was probably the one season that I was going to really jive with because it was 80s slasher kind of themed. Mm-hmm. And I went back and I was like, man, this is you know super campy, but I had fun. This is fun. And so then I was like, maybe I've been too hard on this show. And so I went back and finished Asylum. And I don't think I have been too hard on the show. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, I have not. <laughs> no, I have not. But I am continuing on. I'm now... Just just to have like a context, you know, because I can't rag on something if I haven't seen it. That is true. So I'm now just watching all of it to have sort of a, a horror, you know, pop culture knowledge of it all. And I'm not, you know, it's not all, I'm not having a miserable time. There's a lot of fun things happening. There were some really fun parts in, in Asylum. Now I'm going through Coven and Jessica Lynch is so good. She's wonderful. And Kathy Bates is great. Yeah, everyone says Coven is the one to watch. I still haven't watched it yet, but I mean, it's maybe maybe I'll start. Maybe I'll start tonight. Who knows? Maybe I mean, it's nuts. I'm not going to say it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I I had this conversation with Connor, who is on for our Catholic podcast, and we were talking that like <laughs> the way you worded that made it sound like we have an entire yeah podcast not on this, about being Catholic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, all the joys that come with that. Um, <laughs> No, but we were talking about American Horror Story and we were basically saying that like, 
I've never been scared at any point in American Horror Story. There, there's been many times that I've been really repulsed, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like the show is more interested in making you just, like, squeamish, like, oh, wasn't this gnarly and sexually uncomfortable? And I'm like, yeah, it was. Like, yeah, but- <laughs> definitely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, good job, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I think that's why I really liked 1984 is because I, I feel like it tapped into some really fun slasher hijinks where it was just kind of over the top and, and its kills and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I love that. That's great stuff. Uh, but yeah, we'll keep going. I'll see uh, see what I think. And then we can have a, a fr- maybe we'll have a whole episode once we've gone through it all in an American Horror Story episode. Yeah, I like that plan. Yeah, that's. I think that's pretty much it for what I've been doing i i watched prom night one and prom night two recently a hot take i do not like prom night one and i love prom night two hello mary i haven't seen either you don't have to see the first one (laughs) (laughs) but fight me go on happy harvest horror show at instagram.com and fight me and fight me let's let's throw down (laughs) because i love i love having these conversations because i anyway hello mary lou prom night two I think is so fun and deserves your attention as just like a nutso high school slasher. Um, that's it. How about you? How spooky was your week? Um, let's see. Two things come to mind. Uh, first was actually today. I talk about them all the time. Ghoul Boys, BuzzFeed Unsolved. You love them. Uh, we love them. They actually have started their own media company called Watcher. Hmm. And it's doing really well. They have... They just, oh, God, they pump out content like nobody's business. It's as a fellow content creator, they're definitely, you know, goal worthy. But they have a series that they did. They did it during October. And now they're doing like a Christmas version Mm. uh, this month. And it's called Too Many Spirits. And what they do, I love it so much. There's four episodes, but they film them all in one night. And each episode, they read ghost stories from viewers, listeners that people sent in. And they'll read the ghost stories and they'll rate them like on a scale of one to ten spirits. They'll rate them. And they also drink while they're doing this. But what makes it even better is that they film them all in one night. So like the first episode, they're still, you know, they're pretty lucid. And every episode... They just get drunker and drunker. (laughs) (laughs) And it's filmed in like, I think it's Ryan's parents' backyard. And they have like, you know, a campfire. And it's just so fun. And the first episode of their holiday version of that came out today. So that was just like a joy. And just also some really fun, spooky stories from listeners you know i love that yeah so super fun check that out uh love it so much and then i also fangirled a little because i posted about it on our instagram mm-hmm. and i saw that shane um a day watched our story and Uh-oh. i was like is, is this happening did we <laughs> <laughs> we've made it <laughs> Back it Actually, up, boys. one time, one time <laughs> I posted. Uh, this one was even bigger for me, off topic, but was even bigger for me. One time I posted something and I tagged uh, Hassan Minaj in it, mm-hmm. and he he watched it. And I I have the biggest crush in the world on Hassan Minaj, so I I got very excited about I that. Bet. That's awesome. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways. 
So yeah, that super fun. Check it out. And then I watched It's Been Huge. Everyone was talking about it. And that's the only reason I watched it because I also just jacked my friend's HBO account. I watched The Undoing. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. Is it spooky or is it more like a procedural sort of thing? Yeah, it's it's a thriller. Okay. And there is there is definitely a very gruesome murder scene in it that was not mm. fun to watch. Um <laughs> but yeah, so it's definitely more of like yeah, crime procedural thriller type vibe. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's, you know, some some horror elements in that regard. I won't give anything away, but like I watched it Because everyone was like talking about the ending and like Mm -hmm. a lot of people were saying they didn't like, like they were mad about who the killer actually was. Uh, That's exactly what I heard. (laughs) It's the only context I have for the show is people hated it. I liked the ending. You did? Okay. Yeah, I'm going to be the uh, like the antagonist, I guess, here. I, I actually I think the ending was really smart and really interesting. Okay. And was the whole point of the show. (laughs) <laughs> so, okay. All right. so i get i get why it made people mad but i like if the it, honestly if it would have ended differently i don't know that i would have really liked the show that much it would have just There's been kind whole, of like wow. it, because like in a lot of ways it is just your run of the mill yeah crime procedural like the very wealthy very privileged white people in new york city mm-hmm. blah de, blah de, blah like nothing really that exciting i do love nicole kidman even though she pretty much always plays the same character but i mm-hmm. i do love her anyways it wasn't bad but there wasn't anything about like the the rich people in new york city story is unbelievably played out you know oh, yeah, like dude. Oh, and my God. It's just like I've I it's been done on every level so many times. So if it hadn't have ended the way that it did, I think it would have just been kind of boring personally. But mm, okay. that's my take on it. Once again, going well. back to what you said earlier, Brian, if you want to fight me about it, come to Happy Harvest Horror <laughs> Show. <laughs> Listen, we're throwing down here. Just, our, our DMs are just going to be fire. <laughs> Yeah, happy harvest horror show at Gmail or on Instagram. Uh let's uh let's argue let's, about about let's some fight. Stuff. Let's fight. It's funny you mentioned HBO because I think they've been really killing it with horror, really. A few different shows. They've done I don't know if you watched The Outsider last year. No, that I was need to. Stephen King. Uh I read the book. I really liked the book and I liked the show a lot too. But they've also done Lovecraft Country, which was huge this summer. I still have a few episodes left I haven't finished, but that's been really, really cool to see that kind of budget on that kind of story. And they've also, there's another show with Jude Law called The Third Day. Also halfway through, I'm like halfway through a lot of shows right now. <laughs> and I'm, so I'm trying to go back and finish it. But The Third Day, it's like this very full core. It's got a lot of notes of like the Wicker Man where he finds this, this girl that attempted suicide and brings her back to this island. And it's this island in England where, what's, what do we call it? Where there's like a road that um, when the tides are different, uh, you can only cross it up certain parts of the day because there, there are parts of the day where it's underwater. There's an actual word for it, but I miss, I can't remember. But I anyway. want to know what that word is. What's that the is word? That's very poetic and beautiful. I really it want is. to know what the yeah. word is. Uh, it was also, it was the same location was used for the movie, The Women in, Woman in Black. So if that okay. rings any bells of, you know, the tide going over the road. But anyway, so he's stuck on this island and it's kind of eerie Christian, religious, maybe culty group. Yes. And he's stuck there. And so I won't 
say anymore, but it's the few episodes that I'm in are rad. Love folk horror a lot. Same. Yeah, that sounds that sounds up my alley. Yeah, sure. check that out. So and then we can talk about it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm just saying like HBO, like hell yeah, for like jumping on this horror zeitgeist that we're in, which I love that we're in as, as a society that everyone's like, yeah, horror is rad. And I'm like, yeah, it always was. But yes, yeah, let's keep going. They do great things at HBO. They really yeah. do. Well, they have money. I know that HBO money makes good art. Like, I don't know what to say. (laughs) It's almost like we should fund the arts and get (laughs) good art. I know, right? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm probably out of my depth here. What do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking. (laughs) Damn it. (laughs) Well, anyway. Anyway, what are we talking about today, Brian? Well, we are now in the weeks leading up to Christmas, so we thought we'd kick off the holiday season with a movie that's both Halloween Harvest and Christmas time, and that is The Nightmare Before Christmas. So we're going to talk about kind of history, making uh, other little tidbits about it. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this, especially on my birthday, because this yeah, is one of my favorite th- movies. I'm, I feel like it, this, we're having a little, a little Brian celebration here, because I know... It's it's one of one of your top childhood films and mm-hmm. and I definitely think of you whenever I think of this movie. So if I've done nothing else right, I've done that right. <laughs> <laughs> I've done nothing else in my life. <laughs> but yeah, let's uh let's get into it. Yeah, do you want to give a quick word from our sponsors first? Oh yeah, I suppose. We love them. So let's let's give them our time. So let's hear from us real quick. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We've returned. Welcome back. I'm so glad you are back from hearing from us to hear from us again. (laughs) We're talking about Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm -hmm. Is it a Halloween movie? Is it a Christmas movie? Who's to say? Well, it's both, I guess. But man, I don't know. When I grew up, I always thought it was more of a Halloween movie, but it definitely is taking over Christmas. But it ends in Halloween Town. That's my thing. It comes back to Halloween and everyone's like, hey, actually, Halloween's pretty fucking rad. And I'm like, you're right. You're right. You're right. It is. You're right. I, you're right. I love to. I was thinking about this today because, like I said, I always think of you and I think of this movie. And it it makes so much sense because obviously I have like a Halloween podcast with you. So I mm-hmm. think of you and I think spooky horror, just over the top Halloween stuff. But also, I very much think of you when I think of Christmas, because like you have always had like a love for Christmas as I well. I love holidays. What can I say? But just these two. Just <laughs> these two. The other <laughs> 10 months of the year can fuck off. It's just, just these two. <laughs> just Halloween. Just Christmas. And I do too. Like, And that is, that's another reason why I love that we're doing this like on your birthday, because I love ritualized celebration. I really do. And I love cultural moments of ritualized celebration and to me nightmare before christmas is just such i mean aesthetically the entire vibe the entire concept it's 
it's all about wrapping up what makes Halloween Halloween and what makes Christmas Christmas, you know? Uh, yeah, I do. I agree. It's It encapsulates both holidays, right? And it celebrates them both, that they're both very yes. fun and very exciting and, and in celebrating them in a animation and in a world that I've never seen before. And that's the beauty of this movie is it makes an entire worlds out of these like ethereal ideas like holidays they're like no they're actually a place or they're mm-hmm. a thing they're a tangible group of people that are there that bring this about all the time the imagination of this story is so cool and it's the first feature length all stop motion animated movie too that like yes. that it was never i mean just the actual animation style we'd never seen anything like it and i think that i thought that was super interesting that it was the first full mm-hmm. length like feature length claymation film yeah yeah I mean, there's been stop motion in the past for, you know, since the dawn of cinema, but as like a yeah, fully yeah. length feature, you know, feature film, feature film. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize that it had that title. And it's rad. It is animation because we're a series of pictures taken, but it's you're watching live actual physical objects move. It's movie magic. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. It really is. It sounds it so really... corny to say, but I mean, I <laughs> <laughs> like it makes makes my heart catch on fire watching that movie. It's like so fun. Oh, it's unbelievably aesthetically speaking, mm-hmm. it is a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely a big you know, I'm just like, I'm a big image person, right? Like mm-hmm. art historian, like I really like images and I I love moving images, but I also really like breaking down moving images to stills mm-hmm. and like beautiful movie stills. Oh, love it so much. And this movie is just such a treat for that, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely. just so many absolutely beautiful shots because literally it's claymation. So your every moment is a completely designed shot, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, there's no in between. There's no, yeah, there's no throwaway. Like it's literally every every single shot you stop and you're looking at the whole the whole of what's happening. And something about that is uh, from just a creative standpoint, it's just really beautiful. And yeah, it's a it's a gorgeous film. And kind of speaking to that, like the aesthetic of it, we both watched. It was very serendipitous because we decided yesterday we were going to record this episode. And then at the exact same time, this show popped up on Netflix. It's it's been around for a while. It's called The Movies That Made Us. Yeah. And they they decided to do a holiday version mm-hmm. where they do an episode on Nightmare Before Christmas, and they also do an episode on Elf, which I am excited to watch. Same. And what's really fun about this show is I think if you're a creative, like if you're a creator or an artist or someone who really, really likes to get deep into film, Mm -hmm. this is a show for you because it really picks apart those little things. Mm -hmm. and, And that can be really fun if you like to think about the little bits and pieces that go into making a movie happen. And one of the things that came up in this episode about Nightmare Before Christmas uh, was just aesthetically in creating Halloween Town Mm -hmm. that the parameters for creating Halloween Town, I think, (laughs) are just a really interesting creative exercise. Like Halloween Town, the entire town was supposed to be 
all black, white, and orange. Yep, those were the that that was the uh, the parameters set by Tim Burton himself when he was like, yeah, they were not to use any colors but black, white, and orange. And then the other parameter that I really liked is no right angles, no right angles, which is in very the much entire... the Tim Burton style. Yep. Yes, yes, Halloween Town, and the way they describe it in the show too is if you were to cut across the plane at any point in a shot, Mm -hmm. everything would fall apart. Everything would crumble, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's no right angles. And I was like, that is so dope. I love that. Yeah. Still speaking to why I fell in love with this movie when I was four years old, you know, my mom brought home this VHS of this movie. It was like truly, and since I've never really seen anything like this, you know, that people Mm -hmm. try to create these worlds in these different places that I have never seen before, but they're all kind of echoes of things that we already have. Whereas this place, like, just just down to the structures and the geometric shapes that they're happening. They nothing should be standing, you know? Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it shouldn't exist, and yet it does, and it's so cool. It's so living. Love it. Yeah, and that definitely is part of the magic of of what Tim Burton is able to do. Like he has created worlds all his own. It's you know, at this point in time, we have a very, I think, solid idea of what a Tim Burton world looks like. But when this movie came out, it was not that yet, right? He was, I mean, he was a big deal, but he Mm -hmm. wasn't, it it hadn't been as established yet. Right. And it definitely wasn't done in this context with like claymation and this kind of in between like kids movie, but not kids movie. Yeah, it really just existed in a space that hadn't been done before there there really is no better way to put it yeah and it is i mean we're talking about tim's contributions and i mean it is his vision and his story and his sketches i love his art it's, it's so very strange oh, yeah. all of it but this i mean we have to give credit where it's due that like rick rick Heinrichs is the one that made his little doodles into three-dimensional models that, yes. that and that he in collaboration with director henry Selick, that they are the ones that really created this whole halloween town it's kind of a shame that it gets i don't know if, if reduced is the word but like tim burton's nightmare before christmas like well, yeah he did do that and you know <laughs> yeah this like what we're talking about this marvel of stop motion animation and creating these models and these figures that really wasn't him that was rick heinrichs and 120 other workers that were over 20 sound stages that created this so i want to tip hat to them because they're the ones that teamwork uh makes the dream work you know like yeah no totally like the concepts the sketches you know did come from the strange mind of tim burton 100 percent. but but you know nightmare before christmas isn't a book of sketches it's a it's a claymation mm-hmm. film so yeah. yeah definitely henry Selick, one of the un sung heroes of Nightmare Before Christmas. And what was the other guy's name? Rick Heinrich. He worked with Tim while he was at Walt Disney. Same with Henry Selick. Well, I guess we can get into the, the history of how this yeah. became about because this kind of all started way back when Tim Burton created a short film called Vincent 1982. Thanks to this short film, he was then employed at the Walt Disney Animation Studios on a kind of an animation, I think it was a two-year sort of apprenticeship was the situation. And while he was there, he made a poem, a three-page poem called The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is what we're talking about. But unfortunately, during his time there, Walt Disney Studios thought his style and his art just really didn't jive with Bambi, our cartoon-centered <laughs> I style. like that you jumped to Bambi. I mean, it's Bambi, right? <laughs> 
I was just trying to think of like a cute, you know, no, Disney. It was great. It was a perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> what I'm getting at is it did they didn't fit, which they don't. You know, they're very different art styles. Yes, totally. But uh, before they parted ways, he was already working with Disney to make a the 30 minute TV special of this. So they had the rights to the movie. So when they parted ways, he could no longer make this movie because Disney had the rights. Fast forward a few years, Tim Burton has become rather successful. He directed Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and then he went on to make other movies like Beetlejuice. Hats off to Beetlejuice. Fucking love Beetlejuice. And Batman. Batman was a huge mega hit. So now everyone was like, oh, Tim Burton. He's making these like crazy wild movies. He's now a household name. So with these directing chops, he goes back to Disney Studios and says, I want this movie. And Disney was like, how about we make the movie with you, though? So he brings back Henry Selleck and Rick Heinrichs, and they're going to make this movie. However, he, Tim Burton's involvement in this is rather minimal because he's currently already directing Batman Returns, which will go on to be a really cool Christmas movie in itself. So the, the reins were then passed on to Henry Salick and group up in San Francisco while Tim Burton was away making Batman Returns. Interesting fact that over the two years of making Nightmare Before Christmas, Tim Burton only came to the studio five times. He was there for like a collective, like no more than like 10 days on set of making this movie. And what you got to know about, if you already don't, stop motion animation is it's so slow. It is painstakingly slow to do. You're looking at maybe two to three seconds of footage on a good day. You know, of making when I was um, while I was watching the movies that made us special when they were kind of talking about that. Mm -hmm. The first thing I thought of was Parks and Rec, where Ben gets into claymation. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that episode? I don't know. I don't remember this one. It's one of my favorite moments. Like Ben gets fired or he resigns in disgrace and then he's like taking up all these hobbies (laughs) and he like takes up claymation and like everyone is like trying to they're like, oh, Ben's super depressed but he's on top of the world like he doesn't realize he's depressed because because he's like really into his claymation like he like he's like let me show you my claymation video and he like shows it and it's like it's literally like three seconds and then he has a whole meltdown and he's like how is it not longer (laughs) it's so good it's been so long it's Yeah, I can't yeah. imagine. I do not have the patience for claymation at all. I I don't know. It surprises me that people do. Yeah. Claymation and just cartoons in general. Like, oh, oh, wow. It's that is impressive. A lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. You got to really love what you're animating to like stick with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> to not mm-hmm. get bored of it. I mean, it's also you have to have such a concrete plan too that Leica studios they're out of portland they made you know paranorman and um oh, coraline paranorman. yeah coraline two strings <laughs> which is so good if you haven't seen kubo all these movies are amazing go support the studio because they're really the only ones doing stop motion animation right now but i've seen behind the scenes of them and they have like storyboards down to like the day you know like super concrete mm-hmm. calendars because that's how what you need to pull this stuff off which makes it even more impressive that Nightmare Before Christmas did not have that. <laughs> they had a writer, uh, Michael McDowell, who wrote Beetlejuice. He was originally pegged to write the screenplay for this. That did not turn out well, uh, and they were running behind on schedule. So they just went ahead and started making uh, songs first. So before they even had a script, they were just started writing songs for this movie. So Danny Elfman was brought on. He had never done movie scores before, and now he's <laughs> doing uh, one of his best, I think, in this movie. And they wrote these songs, what's this, and all this 
so much so that uh, Danny Elfman became Jack Skellington himself. He's like, I feel like this is who I should be playing. And he's like, yeah, you got the job. More on that later. Danny Elfman was living with Caroline Thompson and at the time dating, who did this screenplay for Edward Scissorhands. So previously worked with Tim Burton also. Uh, She was then hired to write the screenplay. And then suddenly we have a story and songs and everything's great, right? Everything's going to be so smooth sailing from here on out. Not really. (laughs) It's really hard (laughs) to make this movie. Yeah, no, there's a lot of... There's a lot of drama in the story of how how Nightmare Before Christmas came to be. Like, yeah, and not the the least of which, just on a business standpoint, that they like yeah, because yeah. they didn't have these plans and didn't know what to do, and it was the first, like we said, stop motion feature length movie. They didn't know how much it was going to cost, so Disney was like, "You get eighteen million dollars in two years, go." And the producer, this is really fun part of the documentary that we were just talking about because she uh i want to make sure i have her name right what was her name oh man i'm gonna goof it (laughs) don't goof it (laughs) dude i'm fucking goofing it right now where are you where are you where are you kathleen i'm so sorry (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) i cannot sleep i cannot dream tonight that's actually perfect uh because that song is a fucking reference to nightmare before christmas (laughs) if you didn't know i miss you by blink 182 is nightmare Nightmare before Before christmas Christmas. yep so at Disney, they gave him $18 million in two years to work on it. Kathleen Gavin, who is a co-producer on the movie and was in charge of kind of keeping things on track, quickly realized that they needed not $18 million to finish this movie. They needed $24 million. So in a genius move that I think is probably emulated all the time with producers in Hollywood, uh, she took like the storyboards and the animation that they have done and they brought the story and all the songs to Disney And Disney saw the screening and they were like, yeah, this looks really good. This looks really great. And she's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. That's a $24 million movie. And they were like, what? And like, yeah, (laughs) we can do 18, but the things you just said you liked can't happen. (laughs) So just like a beautiful case of entrapment that I think (laughs) is how I got to start looking at money from now on. Right. Uh, I also like the way she tells the story in the documentary too, because she's just like, okay, 24 million. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that is. Like very matter of fact. (laughs) Which is funny because at this time it was on the lower end of budgets for Disney big blockbuster movies. Mm -hmm. They weren't expecting to make like big Aladdin money with this, but they were hoping. I mean, Disney wants to make money, but there's one thing I know. It's that Disney wants to make money. (laughs) They need to make money. They don't even want fucking foaming at the mouth. They need money. And so, yeah, that was one um, little drama, uh, the budget of it. What else do we have? We got, uh, they did end up getting the 24 million. Oh yeah, totally. So yeah, this is a $24 million movie. Yeah. The 24 million ended up happening. They ended up getting to, to make the movie that they wanted. It also didn't hurt, which is another genius move on the animators that the first thing that they animated was the Christmassy what's this song. And yes, that, yes, yes. and then they brought that to Disney and Disney's like, yeah, this looks great. 
you know? Yeah, yeah, we could get on board with this. Yeah, we could get on board with this and saving all the scary Halloween Town stuff for later. 10 out of 10, you guys love it. What else? I guess that we talk about the the screenplay itself, that Caroline Thompson wrote the screenplay for this animated feature. It took two years to animate this movie. And in the creative process, and you're animating, things naturally probably change. And like, it probably wouldn't have happened this way. I think it'll happen this way a little bit, which obviously creates contention within a writer which i think is probably just a song as old as the hills of a writer oh, being frustrated 100%. with a, you know a, a process of bringing their words to the screen just creators in general having to come up you know compromise like yeah. compromise is hard compromise <laughs> is hard yeah 100 percent. but she caroline thompson is largely attributed to the work that she did on sally that sally mm-hmm. is the character that she turned out to be thanks to her so we thank you caroline because Sally. Yeah, she definitely gave some dimension to the character. Mm-hmm. Like she she wasn't really the the heroine that she ended up being in the beginning. Agreed. Yeah. And so they, they finished the movie. It happened. They released it in 1993. But before releasing, Disney did a little test screening to a group of kids in Hollywood. To see, like, let's see what they think about it. Thing. Kids didn't know what to think at all because they'd never seen anything like it, which is true because there was never <laughs> anything like it. So Disney yeah. got real skittish and was like, oh, shit, this isn't a kid's movie at all. We got to we got to market this to something else. So they distributed it through Touchstone Pictures instead of Walt Disney, uh, which was their sister company. And they called it Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. That's when that came in. In other words, they were trying really hard to separate themselves from this, but still make a profit on it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which that tune changed real hard 10 years later when everyone fucking loves this movie. And they're like, oh, yeah, right. we, it was all us. Now, when you go back and watch the movie, it says Walt Disney Pictures presents. Yeah, it's definitely on Disney Plus. It's mm-hmm. definitely like, oh, this is this was Disney. This was a Disney film. I'm sure they've made crazy money off of merchandise. Oh my god, nuts. Nuts money. Mm-hmm. But no, that is nuts that is money. <laughs> big dumb money after <laughs> merchandising. Just from hot topic alone. My God. Right. Oh <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> I remember that. I mean, like I said, we're talking about our history with this movie. I remember being a kid and growing up with this with my own VHS. And as I kind of went through middle school and or like, you know, as a kid, I did not find any other kids that loved this movie. You know, that I thought in my pre-internet world that I was kind of alone in my love for this movie, which made mm-hmm. me love it even more, you know? Yeah, no, it's definitely um, a testament to your hipster nature, for sure. Okay. Jesus, my God. <laughs> I mean that Fucking in reading loving, me on this podcast. loving way. <laughs> I do, I do. I, I mean, you, you adopt, you're an early adopter of Nightmare Before Christmas. Like, own it. There's nothing it. wrong with that. <laughs> I liked it before it was cool, okay? Or before I knew anyone else think liked it was cool. That's what it was. <laughs> you did, though. I mean, like, I've heard the story. Just little Brian in his a, skinny pants. And his... <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Fast forward to high school and then going discovering Hot Topic and then seeing like, oh, shit, they got that bit for Christmas stuff. Look at this. This is cool. Okay, so I, I wanted to talk actually talk about this because I – was thinking about that and thinking about this resurgence that happened. So just like quick recap, came out in 93, yep. did okay, but didn't do super well, was not a blockbuster hit. Yeah, it uh, had- It a, just like was a movie. Yeah, $24 million budget, made $50 million. 
So yeah, yeah, and it wasn't fine. really it wasn't really targeted at kids no. because it didn't read very well with kids. So it's kind of more of like this teen movie. So yeah, it didn't do super well. But then there was this huge resurgence like ten ish years later, and right. who knows how these things happen. Chances are there were just a lot of people in the world like you, Brian, who attached to it when it wasn't popular. Yeah. And then and then as they got older, it became more part of their personality. But I have to at least entertain the possibility that Blink-182 had something to do with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Blink-182 is right there with us. That's what it was. <laughs> Well, because think about it. The movie came out in 1993. Blink-182's I Miss You came out in 2003. And it was literally a reference to Nightmare Before Christmas. And who was listening to Blink-182? Like all of us weird little pop punk. You better believe I was. Hot topic going kids. Like I'm going to (laughs) make, I'm 100% going to make a like diagram chart of the overlap between like <laughs> Blink-182 and Nightmare Before Christmas. Like that is a space that exists. So part of me is just, I have to entertain the possibility that they helped that resurgence happen. You know what I mean? I don't know that that's true, but like part of me wants it to be. <laughs> I think it's all true. I think that a very popular song, we can live like Jack and Sally if we want, blah, 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 Tom DeLone. that... <laughs> <laughs> Out there looking, looking for aliens. Mm-hmm. That's what he's Tom doing nowadays. But that, you know, those lyrics were suddenly in the pop culture canon, you know, that mm-hmm. for an audience like me at that age, 13 years old, was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I'm singing this song and I like this movie. Yeah, I like this. Probably. Exactly. Yeah, I think you might be onto something. I think there was like a compound nature to it. Because like if you were a kid who enjoyed that film and then all of a sudden yeah blink 182 has this huge smash hit and like they're talking about it like that's gonna bring that back up in your consciousness and when you're an emo 12 year old like you're gonna attach to that as part of your personality you know totally and so i think that's what a lot of us did i think that is probably part of what happened i'm not saying that is what happened for everyone but i do think that might be part of it and I'm going to throw it back over to you. But basically what happened was around this time frame, Nightmare Before Christmas blew up like it had never blown up Huge. before. Now everyone loves this movie. Or if you hate this movie, fight me. Come on. <laughs> another, <laughs> just another antagonist. How do you hate this movie? <laughs> Other than like, oh, it's so popular. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. I would be, you just read me as a hipster. I get that. But... Uh, <laughs> but I mean, this is popular for a reason. It's good. It's good stuff. It is. It's a it's a good movie. It's a creative film. It's you know, it's unlike anything else. Like And it was you gotta at least appreciate that. Right, you know? right. And I mean it was critically acclaimed too. I mean, like you know, look on a Rotten Tomato, it's got ninety five percent. a lot mm-hmm. of I, I mean Roger Ebert loved it, called it the world it creates is comparable to like Star Wars. It's like something we'd never seen before. Like it got love from it, and then it was even nominated at the Oscars for Best Visual Effects, it lost to Jurassic Park, which, like, fair, you know? Fair. Oh, god damn. I love Jurassic Park Same. so much. So, like, if it was going to lose to another movie, it was going to be that one, you know? Yeah, every time I, like, every time I go back watching Jurassic Park, I'm just like, this movie is fucking great. Like, that movie it's fucks, so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It really holds up. 
It's such a good film mm-hmm. that will forever be top movie. It's an all-timer. Would you consider Jurassic Park horror? Absolutely. Okay, we should do a Jurassic Park episode Definitely. at some point then. Same way I would consider Jaws horror. And people, they're like, no, it's action adventure. I'm like, sure. And... <laughs> Like, and it's terrifying. I, yeah, it's so scary. Like, I, I, I mean, it's it's like Hitchcockian. It's a suspense. It's it's a creature yeah, feature. Yeah. I mean, that's it blows my mind when people think Jaws and Jurassic Park are are just adventure movies. I'm like, yeah, they are, and they're horror. Like, yeah, totally. The scenes totally. that are set up with actual textbook suspense, and it's trying to scare you. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway fucking people right (laughs) am i right right? that's my other podcast (laughs) fucking people (laughs) yeah back to this it you know for years and years it kind of said dormant to be resurgence hot topic tom delone um (laughs) love it should we talk about the alternate ending oh yeah another fun bit of drama there was talks of having an alternate ending if you're unfamiliar with nightmare before christmas please stop and go watch it uh and if you are which i'm sure you should be the movie ends with oogie boogie you know keeping santa and jack or and, and sally hostage and then jack comes in to save the day and then takes off his oogie boogie burlap sack and it turns out he is made of a bunch of bugs the alternate ending when the sack is taken off revealed that it was dr finkelstein all along like a classic kind of scooby-doo like Oh, it was old man Finkelstein all along. Mm-hmm. And also, just to clarify, Dr. Finkelstein, he's like the evil scientist who made Sally right. and then like tried to keep her hostage, basically. Yeah. And a wonderful twist of misogynistic bullshit. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> but uh but yeah, so that was the alternate ending that Oogie Boogie is also the evil scientist. Correct. That alternate ending was presented to Tim Burton. Tim Burton famously hated it, uh so much so that he cooked a hole in a wall with his size 14 Doc Martens. What one thing that the documentary episode made very clear to me mm-hmm. Is that Tim Burton has some very toxic anger issues. Totally. Which I'm sure I'm not trying to excuse him at all. I think he's I, I I think he was a hot director, and I think this is a product of Hollywood that just allows yeah. hot directors to get away with fucking murder, you know? And that mm-hmm. enables him to throw tantrums, you know? Yep. I'm saying both are culprits here. Totally. Totally. The age old story. And it's so frustrating. Like, why do creative geniuses have to be assholes? They always like, got to be fucking on. assholes, dude. Why? Like, why can't you just be an okay person? Right? Like, I just don't understand. Just <laughs> like, be okay. And just we'll, we'll be, love you. You don't have to be the best person. Just be, be okay. okay. <laughs> and we'll love you for fucking forever. Like, I know. Just be okay. Like, I'm not even, I'm asking the bare minimum here. Like, just be like Tom Hanks and like collect typewriters. Like, fuck. Yeah, dude. <laughs> He's figured it out. He's like, I just got to not screw up and have a <laughs> like, cute little just, hobby. There, you got yeah. it. <laughs> done and we can celebrate forrest gump for all of eternity for all of eternity <laughs> and we don't have to feel bad about it ever or we're, we're going through the ringer right now with harry potter like god just like, uh, uh, just like yeah, stop. Just, <laughs> just stop just be okay should please. be okay <laughs> which yeah so getting back to nightmare for christmas he wasn't okay at that <laughs> and he wasn't also okay at um so caroline the writer of the screenplay of this movie also had some hesitations on Oogie Boogie as a character himself. Um, I'm reading from uh, slashfilm.com this article 
that basically quotes her as saying, the Oogie Boogie character looked like a Klansman with his pointed burlap hat. Oogie Boogie is a derogatory term for African Americans in the American South, and I begged the powers that be to change something about that character. Because of that, I said, this is so ugly and dangerous and antithetical to everything inside of me and did not... I did not win that fight, which they kind of glaze over in this documentary where she goes to Tim Burton and says, I want to take another rewrite at the ending. And she describes how Tim Burton basically threw a fit and like started attacking an editing machine. So more toxic masculinity. So and that was also echoed by Danny Elfman, who was also worried that the character would have been seen as potentially racist. But Ken Page, a black actor, did voice him for the movie. I mean, just in the research for this, I'd never heard of this, these concerns about Oogie Boogie, the character, I'd never thought about it that way. I can totally, Mm -hmm. I mean, hearing these creatives talk about the character and their, their concerns, I totally see it now. But I don't know, is it did you ever run into that in your awareness or no it's definitely the first time hearing of it but yeah but it makes i mean that makes sense you know those are you know sometimes it's things like that you just you have to someone has to bring it up before you see it totally totally i i definitely can see why that would be a concern you Mm -hmm. know and you you don't know you don't know what the intentions are you you know sometimes things kind of happen but like Mm -hmm. regardless of what the intentions are obviously someone saw that this could be a problem and it was not handled correctly like it was it was it was handled abusively you know it was just not like that's not how you handle that kind of a situation so you know not great not awesome yeah (laughs) i think this has probably gotten more traction in recent years especially with the i think it was in the last few years, someone was asking Tim Burton, why are all your characters in all your movies white? I mean, they're not just white. They're like pasty white, you know? Mm-hmm. And he did a pretty tone deaf response where he's like, they don't fit into my aesthetic. Paraphrasing, but it's what he kind of said. And that was like, Oof, Jesus, dude. Yikes. Uh, not, not chill. So, I mean, back to like we were saying earlier, just be okay. <laughs> like. <laughs> Like just Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, like. dude. You made I mean our also arguably hasn't made a decent movie in a long time. So I yeah, don't know. That's true too. That's true too. So yeah, it, it kind of brings to an age-old discussion of like what do we do with art made by assholes, you know? Um that are turn out to be assholes. And I don't know. Oh, it's, it's a conversation I have every day of my life, yeah. I feel like. Like it's just like such a consistent conversation and there's no answer. Like yeah. there's no clear answer. Mm-hmm. But it's worth I mean, I think it's important to bring it up, you know, that one hundred percent. Cause then you can at least get a fuller picture. To exactly. me, that's the answer is get the fullest picture you can mm-hmm. and go from there instead of blindly uh hailing someone as just like a genius. Without actually like looking at everything. Yeah. Like, I think what this has kind of done for me is, I mean, Beetlejuice and Nightmare Before Christmas are like top five for me. I, I can always go back to them. I love these movies so much. I also have no interest in ever meeting Tim Burton, I think. You know, yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, that, yeah. that I, I, yeah, I don't know if it's, if it's good to separate the artist from the art. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's a tough discussion, but I think it's just always good to bring it up and, especially in things that you really love because it's it's a lot harder to do it then. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's both and, you know? Like, yeah. I, I think you can separate the artist from the art and view art as its own thing. And then at the same time, you cannot. And both of those things can exist, right? Right. Like, I can 
just look at an artwork and I can honor certain contributions of an artist and like that can be a thing. Yeah. And at the same time, I can recognize the problems. I think in this discussion of like, what do we do with, you know, the art of bad men or whatever? Right. It's like, we want a clear answer. And my answer is there is not one. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. But the worst thing I think you can do is just pretend like everything's fine. Like, you know what I mean? Just pretend yeah. like, like just ignore the problems. It's just ignore the issues. And, and yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to face that. So I'm just going to brush it off or I'm going to get defensive about it. Mm -hmm. And instead just accept it as part of the whole picture. And as humans, we want neat clean answers we want neat clean categories am i allowed to like this am i allowed to like this person like am i and like i get that i get that impulse but it's just not how the world works like it just doesn't and nothing is ever going to change what nightmare before christmas has meant to you and to so many people and that's beautiful and that's great we also don't need to sit here and be like all hail tim burton you know what i mean like yeah. I, like it's all it's it's both and yeah it's all of it i feel like i've been specifically not doing that this whole time you know like especially yeah, talking yeah. about his this movie you know like i love beetlejuice i love nightmare for christmas i'm not saying i love tim burton's nightmare you know <laughs> i love yeah, these movies. exactly but but i mean it's also tougher of a situation when the art is still being made by the artist right so like uh yeah so how can you support it going forward which you know we brought up harry potter a second ago like obviously our memories with harry potter are always going to be there we're always going to love it and how do we support it going forward because it directly benefits, you know, goes right into her pockets. And that's like, mm -hmm. oh, that's like a, that's, that's a good, that's a worthwhile thing to bring up. I'm like, I don't know, you know, that, but tough questions. I mean, my instinct was like, you can pirate things. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> like I am not, I am not a person. I'm not going to like draw really clear lines in the sand about morality in those kind of situations. Do what you got to do. Like whatever. Right. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, Tim Burton's fucking fine. JK Rowling's fucking fine. Like yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about them not getting paid for something. I'm sorry. I'm just not like uh, getting back to the movie itself. There yeah, has been, yeah, ha there <laughs> has been discussions back in 2001. Disney, wanted to do a sequel to this movie and they didn't want to do it in stop motion. They wanted to do it computer animation and uh, Tim Burton, I guess to a credit, he said, quote, I was very protective of nightmare not to do sequels of that kind. Like quote, you know, Jack visits Thanksgiving world or other kind of things because I felt the movie had a purity to it that people like, because it's a mass market kind of thing. It was important to have that kind of purity of it. And I agree with that. I mean, that, yeah, that's why I, like I, that. I, I love, love that, that it's its own thing and it's still its own thing that we have all this marketing and all this, you know, merchandise around it, but it's all, it's, it's an unchanged product, you know? Yes, yes. But that might not always be the case. I also am just so, and have been for years over the reboot market. Like I'm done with it. I'm so done with it. I've been done with it for a long time. I think it, it's just it, uncreative. It's not interesting. And I'm, I'm done with it. <laughs> so, so I, I do respect that. Like, let it be what it is mm -hmm. and let's come up with new stuff. Like we don't need to reboot everything, yes. especially because the originals exist and you can enjoy them. Yes. You know? But also let's keep rebooting everything because. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to disagree with you a little bit because we get a lot of good reboots, you know, that do happen. I think it's just how you go about you it. Have an example? Yeah, I think the most recent Halloween was a great reboot. I'm excited for Halloween Kills. I'm thinking of other reboots. I mean, I yeah, I won't say that I think like all reboots are bad or that there haven't been anything. There hasn't been anything that's been well done. Mm-hmm. But also, but also it's just such an oversaturated thing right now. Yeah. We could also just pause it even. Like it's it's like I need new stuff. We we've created a generation of just reboots, it feels like. And I'm like, that's boring as fuck. Like I want I want it to not be such a superfluous thing. Sure. Yeah. I think there's an audience for everything, right? I think there's, is it oversaturated? Totally. I think there's also so much content out there that I just love that there's something for everything right now, including what our generation really loves is nostalgia and going back and for better or worse, that's a lot of the stuff that we get right now. Well, I mean, we'll see if this gets rebooted because in 2019, Disney was considering a stop motion sequel. Or a live action mm. remake. Oh, of course they were. Of mm-hmm. course they were. <laughs> this was back Why in wouldn't they? <laughs> 2019. I haven't heard any news since then, but that definitely was coming. It's funny that we we, we disagree so hard on reboots because I think reboots can be very fun. But I can I'm also. Not say, I'm not saying that every like I've enjoyed some reboots too. I'm not saying they're all terrible. I think what happened, like I think when it first started happening, it was kind of a fun idea, and then I think it just took over the whole market in a way that was not great. So like sure. now I feel very passionately about it, and I'm like, we we at least need a break from it. It's it's taken over so much and it's such a focus that we're not getting enough new stuff in the mainstream. Like there's endless stuff on the internet, but I mean like mainstream feature films and TV shows and stuff like that is like all regurgitated stuff. And I'm kind of just like, I want new things so then we can have a new wave and a new nostalgia. Yeah. Like we can't just live in the nineties forever. Sure. Like yeah. or the eighties for that rap. Yeah, right now. exactly. Exactly. Um, which, the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. And I feel that. I feel, I mean, that's an obstacle right now in the horror genre is everyone wants to bring back these titans of horror, you know, and make sequels, but it's not creating new fans. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, we're not exactly, it, exactly. We're, we're just, yeah, we need to have new stuff out there to bring in new fans. And I think it's important to have new things. Yeah. Um, and I also just shamelessly enjoy being pandered to, you know? So, like, <laughs> that's fair. You know, I, I don't I know. I respect, I respect. Your willingness to admit that. Yeah. I really do. <laughs> I love being pandered. That's fair. That's fair. I did also want to, like, we kind of briefly touched on it, but mm-hmm. to come back around and wrap up things sure. about actually the Nightmare Before Christmas, because this has been a great conversation, but we, I think we touched in a lot of different areas, you know, just other than this movie. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah we'll go back. We'll <laughs> yeah. go back. Honestly, in such a short time, I feel like we kind of hit some very profound topics. Um, That's what this movie does. (laughs) But I do want to go back to Nightmare Before Christmas specifically and maybe just talk about the film itself. Mm -hmm. You know, what it means to us, what it means to other people. The fact that in a lot of ways, people have attached to it as a, a movie for people who feel like misfits. For those of us who feel like we don't always fit in Mm -hmm. or at one point didn't fit in or whatever. This has been a film that I think people have really attached to in that regard, which is interesting, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, especially when you think about where it came from, right? Like, because 
um, undeniably, Tim Burton, you know, was a misfit at Disney, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And that's kind of where it all started. So it's kind of creating this land surrounding these huge ritualized celebrations, holidays that everyone is a part of, but yet it's creating a world that those who feel like they're not part of like the regular world can connect with, you know, those who feel like they don't fit in. Mm -hmm. And I think there's 100% just something very powerful about that. I also just like, I, cause I was rewatching the movie today and like, I kind of had a moment where I was like, I, I really relate to Jack in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. I, I think I relate to him more than Sally personally, because he just like, when you think of, him as a character and what he's actually doing in that film like it's not this act of terror that he is trying to make happen right when he kind of takes over christmas he's not trying to like hurt people he's trying to bring it to more people exactly and so there is a desire to kind of always be looking for the next thing right he has something in him where he f- he feels like he's done Halloween, right? He's Jack Skellington. He's mastered Halloween. He's the king of it all. Yep. And so he needs to do the next thing. And there's something very beautiful about that to me. Like he's trying to exactly, he's trying to do what he does, but he's doing it in a new way. And so he kind of adopts Christmas and tries. I love the scene where he's trying so hard to understand Christmas mm-hmm. and he pulls out like, <laughs> he's like trying to understand it from a logical standpoint. And he like pulls out a book and on the front of it, it says scientific method. <laughs> yeah, And he's like trying to figure it out. Like, He wants to get it because he wants to evolve. Mm -hmm. He wants to evolve. That like spoke to my soul. And in it, you know, things kind of go crazy and he does cause problems, you know, but like the intention and the goal is never cruelty. It's never to try and like hurt anyone. Right. It's, it's to try and exactly evolve and bring what he is about to other people and like i don't know i'm getting emotional like like, it's it's like it's really beautiful you know i think it's really interesting too that you say that you relate because i feel like people watching the movie a lot of people relate to jack i related to jack in a lot of ways of feeling like a misfit and and wanting to share things that i really like and people didn't understand it Mm mm-hmm and I mean, just the filmmakers watching these behind the scenes, like all these crew members were all like, yeah, Jack was the one I related to in making it. You had, you had Danny Elfman, which created the songs, created the voice of Jack. And then you had the speaking part. Chris Sarandon did all his lines because they felt that Danny Elfman's performance speaking wasn't as great. So now you have two different actors that are like, yeah, this is my Jack. And then you have Henry, Henry Selleck, the director. He was like, yeah, this is the one I relate to the most, Jack. And then you have Tim Burton that created, I mean, like everyone creating it was like, yeah, I'm Jack, you know? And so it's, it's fascinating to hear that an audience isn't even like, we're all Jack in a way. Or Sally. I mean, in Sally is the the supportive character that wants him to succeed too. Also, doesn't want him. That thinks he's he's not looking around what's there already. You know. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I definitely. I mean, I can relate to Sally too. I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it's the synthesis of the two, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, Jack and, and that, Sally. Yeah. Exactly. We can live like Jack and Sally if we want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where you can always like- find me. <laughs> We'll have Halloween, Halloween on Christmas. On Christmas. Um, but yeah, like 
the synthesis of the two is really the constant thing. It's the constant struggle, right? Like, right, right. like the, it's the day-to-day thing, like finding the balance between seeking, finding the balance between going after something or creating something or sharing something or putting yourself out there and embracing what's around you, embracing what you have, embracing who you are. And I feel like that's such a great representation of the cycle of growth and evolution, right? Like Mm -hmm. intense moments of wanting to do something different because you're feeling disenchanted or you're feeling like you need to move on or you're feeling like you need to do something new. And so, and that's a powerful force and that's a beautiful force. That's can arguably be a huge part of the creative force is the desire. Like, okay, now what's next? Now what's next? But Mm -hmm. also it's super dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing if that's where you always live. So Sally represents the balance to that, right? Like in appreciating where you are and finding happiness there. And so, yeah, I, I guess I would say maybe the the balance between Jack and Sally is kind of the space that we're all constantly teetering, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to like figure out. And obviously, going back to what you said before, we, we have Caroline Thompson to thank for that. Because mm-hmm. if Sally wasn't a more developed character, we wouldn't have that we would just have this tale of Jack and his like very laser like focus on what he's trying to achieve. And then we'd have a very hollow Sally and it wouldn't balance the same way. Exactly. But yeah, as characters, we get a really, a really beautiful balance of those two forces. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think this movie is so nice. So wonderful. It is so nice. And yeah. And I also, you said this at the very beginning and I, I think it's a good way to wrap up. I love that it is a note, like it is a celebration of Halloween and it is a celebration of Christmas. And it is like a celebration of what both those things bring Mm -hmm. and, and a recognition of the fact that they're very different in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. But we can love them and enjoy them for what they are as celebrations. And that's, great yeah and it's also just a testament of like loving what you love you know and i love when his christmas plan has beautifully crashed and burned literally you know he's in the graveyard (laughs) and he has the lines you know he's kind of woe is me why didn't this work out and then he kind of changes his tune he's like well what the heck i went and did my best and by god i really did something swell you know of like Fuck it. I mean, I might be standing in the ruins of it, but at least I did it. Oh, Oh, man. Fucking love this movie. Oh, that's so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even though it it was, it was like it was a beautiful disaster, right? Mm -hmm. Because also, every one of those characters, like every one of those small children that were terrorized by like Jack Skellington's Christmas. Yeah. Like you're never going to forget that Christmas. You know? No, they're going to be the biggest fans of that in the future too. That's how it works. <laughs> right? I mean, you get traumatized right? as a kid and then you, you know, <laughs> as an adult, you're like, fuck, that was really cool. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite scenes too. Is just all the the little clips of all the just the mayhem as he's yeah, like it's great. hopping from house to house. <laughs> lights come on, scream! Lights come on, scream! It, yeah, it's just insanity, and I'm like, this is great. Like, what did what did Santa bring you this year, Timmy? And he pulls out a shrunken head. <laughs> yes, it's so good. It's, so, it's good. so good. Oh man, big fans of Nightmare Before Christmas. And um, I hope you are too. And I hope this uh, encourages you to have your yearly watch sometime soon because we're in the yeah. holiday season and they're excited to have more holiday episodes coming up. Definitely. And um, I mean, there was a lot. We talked about a lot in this episode. So there's plenty of things you can fight with us about yeah. at Happy Harvest Horror Show at gmail.com and on Instagram. So hit us up. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a classic. And I think we'll do... A few more episodes on on the Christmas meets Halloween space or like winter holidays meets horror space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, Merry, Merry Christmas, Happy Halloween and <laughs> yeah. Happy Birthday. <laughs> oh, thanks. It's all in one today. I love it. <laughs> Best of all days. All right. Yes. Well, we'll see you all next time.